Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now, we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host. This week, I want to talk about show running, which is an integral part of making television shows. And on the Vice website, a few weeks ago, there was a very interesting article called Television is in a Show Running Crisis. It was uh, written by Catherine Trendacosta. And again, that was from the Vice website. And basically, what she maintains is that today, there is a shortage of good showrunners. There's a lot more shows out there because of all the cable and streaming services, etc., a lot more platforms, but there is a real shortage of people who really can do the job. And part of what she says, and I have to say I agree with her, is that uh, showrunners don't have the experience and they don't have the benefit of the mentorship that we got back in my day, back in the Pleistocene era. And just to go back and tell you a little bit about how it always used to be, you know, if you get on a network show, they're going to make 13, hopefully 22. If you're on a hit show, you're going to be making those shows year after year. And so writers would move up. You would start out as a staff writer and move up to story editor and then eventually executive script consultant or the different titles, uh, producer, supervising producer. And eventually you reach the top where you became a showrunner. And this is something I know a little bit about because I was a showrunner for a number of years for three different shows. And so I have a pretty good idea of just what it takes. And believe me, that experience was absolutely invaluable. Okay? Because now a, a young writer is lucky to go on a show and maybe it's six or eight episodes, and perhaps it's a single-camera show where they write all of the scripts before they even go into production. So the writer doesn't even have the opportunity to go down to the stage to see the work and determine what worked and what didn't work and come back and fix it. It's like they 
do the six episodes and go away. And for the writers, they're scrambling, hoping to get on another job. You don't get the opportunity to really, you know, get in there on the stage and really involve yourself with the process. Okay, so what does a showrunner do? Well, I have maintained that next to directing a movie, especially a big budget movie, that showrunning is perhaps the hardest job in Hollywood. Because, number one, you have to maintain your vision, certainly. You are in charge of the writing, which means oftentimes you have to do a lot of the rewriting. You're the person who hires the staff. You hire the directors. You hire the crew. You're involved in casting. You're involved in editing, in post-production. So all of the music and sound effects and color correction, etc., etc., all has to go through you. You're dealing with the networks. You're dealing with the studios. You have all of that politics. And you're dealing with actors, sometimes their managers, you're dealing with budgets, you're dealing with, uh, you know, schedules and when things have to be delivered. And again, if you have to turn in something to a network, even if it's a Netflix and they say, we want this in by June 1st, you can't turn it in June 3rd. It has to be in on June 1st. And so, it's uh, it's a lot of balls that you have to juggle. And uh, I find that being a good showrunner is a very different skill from being a good writer. Because basically when you are a showrunner, you are a manager. You have to manage all of these things. And oh, I should mention this. There are always unforeseen events, okay? No matter how well you schedule it, all of a sudden the network calls and they want to move up an episode or an actor gets sick and you have to write him out or a character that you thought would be really good for this particular arc after two or three weeks, you realize this guy just ain't cutting it, this doesn't work. What do you do? You have to get rid of him. You have to scramble and find a new arc. And all of this is going on while the machine is running. And, uh, you know, the time is like Pac-Man just, you know, nipping at your heels. Um, Editors quit. uh, Get a better job. Uh, You want a certain actor, but the studio won't pay for it. You're fighting the studio that wants to charge the writer's assistants uh, for parking. And they're there 19 hours a day and uh, have to go to their car in a parking structure uh, at 3 o'clock in the morning. And the studio wants to charge them $15 a month for the privilege of that. You're dealing with all of these issues. And I can say that... When David and I started out, David Isaacs being my partner, we originally were on a multi-camera show 
for a short while the Tony Randall Show at MTM, and we learned a a little bit about that. And then we went to MASH, which was a single-camera show and was a very unique experience. After our time at MASH, we got a pilot for NBC, and it was a multi-camera pilot, and it didn't go. We lost out to Pink Lady and Jeff. (laughs) And at the time, I was pretty pissed off about it. Now you flash forward a couple of years, and David and I go on Cheers, the very first season, and it's our first time working with Glenn and Les Charles. And they had spent the previous four years as producers on Taxi, and prior to that, they were on multi-camera shows at MTM. So by the time they took over as showrunners on Cheers, they had had maybe six or seven years' experience, including showrunning, because they were the showrunners of the final season of the Bob Newhart show that was uh, on MTM in the... Uh, 70s. So they were ready. And when David and I joined that staff and we saw the way they handled all of these problems that arose, I thought to myself, oh my God, had NBC picked up our show three years before, we would have been buried because they were dealing with problems we didn't even know existed as problems. But not only did they know and were they able to recognize the problems, they knew what to do. They knew how to fix it. And for us, years of learning from Glenn and Les Charles, from Larry Gelbart, from James L. Brooks, from Tom Patchett and Jay Tarsus, uh, we had some fantastic mentors. So by the time we became showrunners, we really felt confident. We really felt we knew what we were doing. I mean, we started out, we were very lucky early on. We were on MASH. We were like 26 years old and we were the head writers of MASH. But we were not the showrunners. The showrunner was Burt Metcalf. And he hired everybody, and he made all of the decisions. He did the casting. He did the editing. He was involved in overseeing and approving everything. So, you know, we were allowed to just sit in the room all day long and write our scripts, but all of the other things that had to be taken care of, problems down on the set and casting sessions and editing sessions and and going to check out uh, this scene for the third time, etc., Burke did all of that. Uh, We were shielded from that, okay? That's a major part of show running. So for us, thank God we had that mentorship. And now, like I said, and like they point out in the article, that just doesn't happen anymore. Now, in the article, uh, Damon Lindelof who was the uh, showrunner, co-showrunner, actually, of Lost and also Leftovers, he kind of has a different point of view. He says, it is a bit of alchemy, creative work. It's magic. You know, it's like we're not making like a product on an assembly line. So for him, it's more uh, your geniuses rather than your managers. And he has a point in the sense that Yeah, you can find yourself in 
a situation where you are just blindly following uh, the past and you are banging out these shows in an assembly line manner. But uh, to be honest with you, uh, shows get done better that way, <laughs> even with uh, all of the problems that that involves, than just uh, being a creative genius and letting it all come to you and working it out at the time, because it doesn't just happen. And there's an awful lot of money at stake. And remember, as a showrunner, you're in charge of like 125 people. So you really have to do your job. Now, I, a number of years ago, wrote an article. Somebody asked me about showrunning and uh, the mistakes that first-time showrunners make. So I thought I would share that with you, and hopefully it gives you a, a better idea of, number one, what a showrunner does, number two, what a showrunner should do. Okay, so mistakes first-time showrunners make. Number one, not communicating with your staff. I mean, it is not enough to have your vision for the show. You need to clearly share it with the other writers. Don't just assume. I mean, it'll be hard enough for them without trying to figure out what's in your head. And the same is true with your editors and your directors. I mean, I found that when I was show running and I would get a first cut of an episode, I would have certain notes and I would kind of have the same notes for the first three episodes. And eventually the editor kind of got the rhythm and sort of figured out the way I like to see a show cut. And by week four and five, the first cuts were much closer because it's like, okay, I bet Ken is going to want to a reaction shot here. Uh, I, I bet he's going to want to go into the single. Uh, I bet he's going to want to go out and get a master here so that we see some geography and it's easy for the audience to see exactly what's going on and where everybody is. But then, again, that takes work. Okay, number two, be very organized. Let me underline very be very organized because time will go by much faster than you think. I mean, from day one, you need to lay out a plan. You want so many outlines by this date. You want so many first drafts by this date, etc. Okay, don't squander that period before production begins. And it's really easy to just kind of knock off early or uh, to move meetings back. Uh, let's say... The whole staff assembles right after Memorial Day. And you're not going into production until August, so you figure, okay, you know, we got plenty of time. But trust me, this is golden time before the crunch when the actors arrive, the cameras roll, and a thousand additional details will require your attention. Take advantage of that time. Accept the fact that the first draft of the first script you are going to receive from all of your staff members is going to look like a script from the last show that they were on. 
okay? It is going to take them time to adapt to your show. And I say that because sometimes showrunners get very angry with their writers when they turn in their first drafts because they go, oh, God, they don't get it. Uh, This isn't what I want. And you have to, you know, give them a little slack there. Cut them a little slack because they don't really know your show yet. They do know the show that they were on last, and it's going to take a little time to retrain them. So basically, uh, you know, don't be too hard on your staff. Okay, remember that every writer is not a five-tool player, as they say in baseball. Those are players that can hit with power, hit average, can throw, can field, can run. Well, you're going to have some writers who are very good at stories, but they're not great joke people. And you're going to have other writers who are great in a room, great at tossing out jokes, but don't necessarily uh, do well with their drafts or... They can't come up with any story fixes. And there are some writers who are very quiet, who go off and write very good first drafts, like Neil Simon would be that kind of a writer. So when you are putting your staff together, it's really like putting together a basketball team, okay? You need somebody who can shoot. You need a point guard. You need somebody who is good in the post. Uh, So you really, when you staff, it's not just, okay, this is a good writer and this is a good writer. It's like, how are they all going to mesh? How are they all going to work together? And are you going to get the story help you need? Are you going to get the joke help you need? Are you going to get the first drafts that you need? And there are some writers who are great at all of that, and they become uh, the Charles Brothers or Steve Levitan or a number of other uh, writers who wound up becoming showrunners. Hire the best writers not your friends. This is very difficult, especially now, because everybody is scrambling. And you get a show on the air. You got, say, eight or ten episodes. You're going to have a lot of your friends, guys you worked with on other shows who are now out of work, lovely people, and they're going to be calling you and saying, hey, hire me. Well, it's maybe tough to hire somebody that you've never worked with before, but you've been very impressed with his script and you've talked to other people who have worked with them and said, this guy's a star. This guy's a star. Get this guy if you can. So for you to hire him instead of your buddy that you see every Tuesday night playing poker is kind of tough, but again, as a good showrunner, it's something that you have to do. Here's another thing. Hire at least one experienced writer. Now, I know this sounds like, okay, hire the old guy, but trust me, otherwise, you're going to find that half the time you are trying to reinvent the wheel. You're going to save yourself an awful lot of time If you have an experienced writer to go, okay, here's how you tell that story. Or, no, this is why you don't do this. This is a trap. You put together a show, you see the rough cut, and you go, God, why doesn't this work? Well, the experienced showrunner would be able to tell you in a second why it doesn't work. Better to ask him before you shoot. 
Don't show favoritism to some writers over others. It destroys morale and no one loves a teacher's pet. Another thing, pick your fights with the network and the studio. Don't go to war over every little note. Antagonizing everybody all the time is a real good way to ensure that this will be the only time that you get a show running gig. Yes, you're an artist. Yes, you're trying to protect your vision. And yes, you are getting noted to death sometimes by morons. But you know what? You got to play the game. You have to hear them out and you have to consider their notes. And you do the ones that you can live with. And sometimes, sometimes I know like a show is going to be long. So I'll do a network note knowing that in editing, I'll eventually cut it. You play all of these stupid games with them. But the best way to get your way is to have them feel at least that you're on their side, that you are listening to their notes, that you are respectful and addressing their notes. And you know what? Every so often, they'll come up with a good note. You know, I've said this before. Uh, I always appreciate the note from a network or studio or anybody when they go, I don't understand this. I don't get why does she run out of the coffee shop screaming? And you go, well, because of this, this, and this. And you go, well, that, that wasn't apparent to me. I didn't get that. So if something is not clear, then it is your job as the writer to go, oh, okay. Let me make sure we understand why she runs out of the coffee shop. Those are those are really good notes. Don't overwork your staff. Now, this goes back to being organized. And interestingly, in that article, uh, Mike Shore, who was the showrunner on Parks and Recreation and a lot of other great shows, he talked about having to... Uh, scramble and work late and do a script last minute, which meant that on the weekend, all of the production people, all of the costume people and prop people and everybody had to come in and prepare for Monday. And it it occurred to him like, oh my God, all of these people had to work because we weren't organized enough and we didn't have the script ready in time. Part of your job is to not overwork your people. And, uh, you know, it gets tough because the pressure starts mounting as the season goes on. But, you know, there's only so many times you can whip the same horse. Okay, your people are dedicated to the show, but let's be realistic. They are not dedicated to the extent that you are. They're not getting any back-end deals. They're not getting interviewed by Entertainment Weekly. Is Entertainment Weekly still? The magazine isn't, but uh, the website is. Uh, Anyway, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, This show may be your whole life, but for them, they want to go home. And a very important thing that a showrunner needs to do is to praise your staff. Okay, if they turn in a good draft, let them know. Now, this sounds like such a simple thing, but you would be surprised how many showrunners don't do that. 
along the same lines, respect the crew and learn their names. You don't have to buy cars for everybody, but the cameraman and the camera coordinator, the script supervisor, the boom guy, uh, they would all really appreciate if you at least recognize them as not just chattel, but as actual people. When you walk onto the set, greet them, okay? They're not just a bunch of convicts picking up litter on the side of the expressway. These guys are dedicated, highly trained professionals who never get any recognition. So you know what? Take a few minutes and take the time to know who they are. And I tell you what, when you do that, these people will walk through walls for you. This is another thing that is generally overlooked, but really important. Take care of yourself. On the weekends, get plenty of sleep. Eat right. Relax. It is a long haul. And if you have that opportunity of one or two days to just chill and recharge, take advantage of it. Never make your staff work late nights if you're not there with them. Okay, you are not in a position as a showrunner, especially in first and second year shows, where you can just give notes and go home and everyone else has to sit there till four o'clock in the morning. They're going to hate you. Okay, it's your show, so you should be there. I mean, if you expect people to be working their ass off at 4 o'clock in the morning and then come back in another six hours, at least be there with them. Don't get so caught up in the work and the grind that you forget to have some fun, okay? You are running your own show. That's a rare opportunity. I mean, think about it. In the feature world, the director is king and the writer on the food chain is like right below craft services. But in television, you get to make the decisions. You get to hire the director. And you go down to the stage, and if you don't like the way the scene is blocked, you reblock it. You get to change it. You have final say on the last cut. Not the editor, not the editor, not the director, nobody. Okay, so yeah. You know, there's definite perks to this. It's your show and you get to make the decisions. And even though it is a very difficult job, uh, at least, you know, step back a little bit and try to enjoy as much of it as you can before you have to put out another fire. Now, a good way to completely destroy any morale is to automatically put your name on every script and share credit with every writer. Now, you may rewrite the crap out of everybody, and you may win an arbitration and get your name on those scripts, but you lose your troops, okay? The trade-off is not worth it. You are getting paid way more money than everybody already. Let the writers receive full credit and... in now rare (laughs) instances, residuals. Okay, here's where we get into Donald Trump territory. 
accept responsibility. Okay, when things go wrong, and they will, ultimately, you're the one in charge. Okay, not saying that you can't make changes in personnel, somebody doesn't work out, but don't constantly be playing the name game. At the end of the day, you're the showrunner, you take the hit, unlike the worst president this country has ever had. Uh, And along the same lines, don't take all the credit. When ideas and scripts and jokes come from other people, publicly acknowledge their contribution. One of the reasons why people love working with Vince Gilligan from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul is because that's what he does. I mean, he will go out of his way in an interview or in, say, some conference to give credit to certain writers for coming up with the solution. Somebody says, wow, that was really ingenious the way you did that. And he goes, well, that's my staff. They came up with that, okay? Uh, It doesn't mean you're any less of a genius, but uh, boy, again, you will have a staff that will walk through walls for you if you at least recognize their contribution. And the bottom line is, like I said, the showrunner, has to develop people skills and management skills as well as writing skills, okay? You may have enormous talent. You may be a genius, but if you can't get 125 people to all row in the same direction at the same time, you're not going to put together a good show. Sounds hard, doesn't it? Yeah, it sure does, and that is what showrunning is all about. And so uh, getting back to the article, to Catherine Trendacosta's article, television is in a showrunning crisis, I think it is because I would imagine that there are a lot of showrunners today who could benefit from listening to this episode of the podcast And I bet you among the points that I brought out, and it was something close to 20 of them, you may be a showrunner and hearing six or seven of those for the very first time. It is a tough job. And that is the uh, end of this particular episode of Hollywood and Levine. Our thanks, as always, to Adam and Susie Meister-Butler, to Howard Hoffman, to John Wolfert, and to Bruce and Jason Miller. If you want to reach me for any reason, uh, my email address is hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. That's hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. Also on Twitter, at Ken Levine. Also on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine where I show off some of my cartoons. See you again next week. Thanks so much for listening. And if you are a showrunner, good luck. Hollywood and the Vine. Save on Cox Internet when you add Cox Mobile and get fiber-powered internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. So whether you're playing a game at home... Yes, cool. ...or attending one live... You can do more without spending more. Learn how to save at cox.com slash internet. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial cable. Cox Mobile runs on the network with unbeatable 5G reliability as measured by Ookla LLC in the U.S. to H2023. Results may vary, not an endorsement. Other restrictions apply. 
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.